do a little <clears throat> review here in Romans chapter 6. So James chapter 1, <clears throat> that'll be our scripture reading, and then Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> I want to conclude this little series, as it were, really an unintended series on knowing our greatest enemy. It is a traitor that lies within us, and it is called sin. And sin has a nature, and that inner traitor is busy plotting against us. James brings up this inner traitor also. James chapter 1 and verse 13 James writes, so let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. That is, tempt us to sin. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So we looked at this sin nature <clears throat> And in Romans chapter 6, in verse 12, we saw that our sin nature presents itself as a king or as a lord. It says in Romans 6, verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Now note here in this passage that the king does not say to you, Go sin. Sin desires to reign in your mortal body. And how does it present itself? Obeying its what? Lust. So you're obeying the desires, the feelings, the motions of sin in your body. And of course, it doesn't hardly ever says, now, why don't you just go out and sin? No, it gives you desires because it desires to reign in your mortal body. We saw that it demands obedience. <clears throat> don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it in its lust thereof. And we saw last week <clears throat> that it needs an instrument to carry out its will against God. And that instrument is our bodies. So don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield your members unto God. And there is a pay that the sin nature will bring you to, and the wages of sin is its death, its condemnation. Now, we kind of boiled it down and made it a little simple when we talked about our sin having a nature and that nature having three aspects. Number one, it has lust. And we see that here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. 
We also saw that our sin nature has intellect or it has thoughts or reasons. It can reason with you about a particular situation and why you need to obey those desires that it's giving you. And your sin nature has a will or volition. It can energize you and it can reward you. In other words, you can actually sin and feel good about it. So sometimes down south, a a little phrase that people will say, they'll say, well, you got to tell it like it is. And when you explode and tell it like it is, then at least at the beginning, you feel good about having told it like it is. But then, prayerfully, you come under the conviction of the Lord. But there is that initial energizing for you to do it, and there is the reward for doing it. Now, the Bible gives us a lot of warnings about this. Jeremiah wrote to the nation of Israel, The heart is deceitful. Can we finish this? Above all things. Did we hear that? Our own heart is more deceitful than anything else that you can think of as being deceitful. Who can know it? Well, the implied answer is what? We can't. But then the next verse in Jeremiah says, God tests the heart. And folks, this is what the Lord does. He will allow us to see the deceitfulness of our own heart by bringing us unto a test not to do evil, but to do what? To do good. He kind of brings us to a crossroad where we end up seeing our own heart. Now, those desires and those lusts that are coming from our sinful nature is actually the same lust that are in the devil. In John chapter 8, if you want to turn there just so you can see it with your eyes. In John chapter 8, in verse 44, Jesus is debating with these Jews who are arguing with him. And he says in verse 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the what? The lust or the desires of your father. He, that is the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. That's an amazing statement from our Lord. In other words, what he's saying is, is that the default pattern of a lost person is not to believe what you're saying. That's their default position. But what we're interested in is in verse 44, you want to do the lust or the desires of your father. 
And folks, at the end of John chapter 8, do they show this? How do we see that? Well, when he presses his deity and authority upon them, in verse 59 of John 8, they picked up stones to throw at him. Now, folks, they're showing forth the desires of their father, aren't they? He was a murderer, and they picked up stones to do what? To murder him. And, of course, as we saw this morning in John chapter 10, they're going to do the same thing again. Now, mostly in our nation today, <clears throat> they don't literally pick up a stone to throw at you, to kill you. But what they will do is use their tongues. Hate is the underlying motive for murder. And Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 5 and how we relate to our brethren. The lust of your father you will do. And our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And Peter says concerning believers... The lust that are waging war against your soul. And of course, Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 brings this out where the sin nature is strategizing against you. And of course, when you think about all of those things that I just mentioned to you, it is fearful, is it not? And aren't you glad that the Lord's got his hold on you? And the Lord filters all things. And its desire, even for a believer, <clears throat> is to bring you into captivity, to make you a prisoner to the law of sin and death. It wants to lead you to the place of being a prisoner to your own lust that are against the Lord. And we talked about the great deception. The great deception occurs in the life of a believer, and this is true for a lost person, but the great deception occurs in a believer who's delighting in the law of God, Psalm 1, is when all three of these come against us. It begins with our desires. Then we move to reason why we get to obey those desires to the place where we actually are energized to do the desires. And of course, I use this illustration of a person, a lady who desires to be a pastor. Do we have any explicit scripture on that? The answer to that is yes, we do. But here's a lady and she reasons to herself, well, you know, I'm, I'm as smart as some other people. I've got understanding of the Bible. I may have even gone to Bible college or even seminary. I got a degree in the Bible. And I have been used of the Lord in the lives of Christian ladies and even in the life of some Christian men. And I just feel called <clears throat> into the ministry. And I prayed about it. <clears throat> and I've lifted it up to the Lord. And so this lady, this hypothetical lady, begins to feel peace about it. 
She begins to try to argue from the scripture. Well, let's think about Deborah in the Old Testament. Let's think about this person. Let's look at this lady on how God used that person. She begins to reason it. She may even begin to read books that would argue for it. She may even begin to be around other believers and share her feelings about wanting to be a pastor. And people are like, yes, you need to do this. So she has the desire, the feelings, the lust. She reasons through it to the place where she actually gets to the place where she's motivated to do it. And then she does it. And I forget what the percentage is, but there's a good percentage of pastors today that are ladies. This isn't against ladies. This is just the fact that the Bible says if a man desires to be in the office of a bishop. Very gender specific, isn't it? But this is how it operates in all of the areas of our life. It begins with a desire. We feed the desire. We reason through the desire. We begin to motivate to do the desire. And folks, most of the time, you're not saying, you know what? I really feel like sinning today. I, in fact, I've never, I've never heard that from anybody. Well, I just started out. I really wanted. I, I had a great desire to sin today. And so I reasoned myself, well, you know, this sin would do me good. And this sin would really bring me prosperity. And then, you know, I'm really energized to sin now. Most of the time, the sinful nature presents itself under the disguise of something good. Where a person will actually think they're doing what? They're doing good. In fact, Jesus told the disciples that there would come a day when the Jews would actually put them to death, believing they were doing the will of God. You can actually be deceived to think you're doing the will of God and then not be doing the will of God. And this is a great thing that we need to really hold ourselves and understand that this traitor is inside of us. Now, James brings this out also. As far as I can tell, the last time I looked at this verse and taught it here was in 2008. That's some 15 years ago. I probably have referred to it at different times, but just giving an emphasis to this passage. It really is verses 14 and 15. Know what it says again. Each one is tempted... That is to do evil. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. In other words, folks, when we are tempted to do evil, it's not because of our circumstances. It's not that the devil made me do it. We're being led away and enticed by my own lust, my own desires. And we have a tendency to justify this. But in any case, we see the problem here. 
And verse 15, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is accomplished, it brings forth death. And I think readily you see here, you see birthing language. You have enticed by his own lust, verse 15, lust conceives, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So you have birthing language that is going on here with this situation. So let me just give you three things here, and then time willing, we'll take a look at the prime example of this. Temptation. That is the temptation to do evil begins with our desire plus the deception of it. The desire never presents itself as something evil. It will always present itself as that which will encourage you and strengthen you. Someone might say, well, if I do this thing, it will bring me happiness. Today in America, feeling or desire is the thing that the world is saying identifies you. So if I'm a child and I'm growing up and I get to a certain age and I have a desire to be a woman, then I should what? I should obey that and I should identify myself as a woman because that's what I what? That's what I feel or that's what I desire to be. And of course, the world will help you do that. God won't help you do that, but the world will help you have an external external appearance of this. The world says your feeling and your desire is your identity. It's who you are. So if I wake up and I'm depressed, then I look at myself as being a depressed person. Well, you're not always depressed, right? Okay. If I wake up and I feel this or I feel, quote unquote, love for someone, they may be a lost person, but I feel this and this is, this is who I am. I love them. Whereas the Bible has other things to say about this. Folks, our feeling or our lust or our desires is not our identity. What is our identity as a believer? It's Christ. He's our identity. He's the one that we're being conformed into the image to. He's the one that we're following and following after. It's his commandments that give the delight of our heart. But this temptation to do evil begins with a desire, a feeling, a lust, and you add to it the deception of it. When those two things come together, there is a temptation 
to do evil. If we're going to put it in another vernacular, we could say this. <clears throat> my feelings, plus my being persuaded of it, puts me in a position to be tempted to do evil. Let me put those two things in another term that we've already discussed. Feeling, lust. Does my sinful nature have lust? Persuasion. Does my sinful nature have an intellect? Does it have thoughts about what it wants me to do? When those two things come together, it begins with lust. When those two things come together, you have a situation of the temptation to do evil. And of course, you can see that with Eve, right? Was Eve deceived? The Bible says she was deceived. She looked at that tree and she saw it was good for, it was good for food. All the trees were good for food. And it was to be desired to make one wise. There's the, there's the lust combined with the intellect, the persuasion, the thoughts pattern. And they came together. And when those two things came together, Eve being deceived, reached out. Do you see that? She reached out for that fruit. And folks, this is the way it always works. <clears throat> it begins with that desire is combined with deception. And if we don't stop it, it will carry us along. See the passage there? Each one is tempted when he is carried away. It leads us along and enticed by his own lust. So here we have those two things. <clears throat> we have the desire. We have the deception. Now look at my hands here. We have those two things happening. And then there's a conception. When two things come together, there's a conception. And you'll see it in verse 15. When lust has conceived, it brings forth what? It brings forth sin. So here's Eve. She has a desire to be wise. She wasn't going to get wise by disobeying God. But she was deceived in this. She saw that it was good for food. She thought to herself, well, this isn't going to harm me. And I do want to be wise. And when those two things came together, her reasoning for it, her desire for it, when that temptation conceived, she reached forth and grabbed the fruit, and she was. And she ate of it. 
When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And folks, we could say <clears throat> giving birth to sin is a conception. And she took of the fruit, meaning, now follow me, she was energized to do it. So you have lust plus the reasoning. Does the sin nature have both of those? Then it has will. She was given the will to do it, to carry out the lust and the deception. And of course, you can imagine that situation where Eve partakes of the fruit. I'm going to ask you a question. Did she die? Well, sin entered the world through Adam. Now, Adam did, did what he did volitionally. But she gives of the fruit to her husband with her. And he partakes. And the birth into this world, the world was created completely good. What entered into this world was sin. And on the back of that sin was death. And folks, that's exactly what happens if you look at verse 15. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, Adam and Eve sin, do they not? When it is accomplished, it brings forth death. Death is the punishment for sin. And then, of course, James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Which means we could be what? We could be deceived. Don't be deceived about this. Now, folks, our sinful nature can lead us into captivity into two ditches. On one side of the road is the ditch of sensuality. On the other side of the road is the ditch of pride. And of course, you got those two ditches perfectly illustrated in our New Testament with you had harlotry, you had adultery, you had fornication of various kinds going on. And the Pharisees were ready to what? They were ready to put these people to, to death. But what ditch had the Pharisees fallen into? Pride. And I would say perhaps the most insidious of the two ditches is pride. It's the most deceptive of the two. But I would say this, whether it's pride or sensuality, both of them are terrible lords. 
it is a terrible thing to be lorded by pride. And it's a terrible thing to be lorded over my feelings. I think we can agree with that, can't we? Folks, this enemy is very, very deceptive. And as I mentioned before, <clears throat> these things, this sinful nature is coming from a nature of an angelic being who fell. And I want to look at the fall of that angelic being and then we'll be finished here tonight. I want you to turn to two passages, one in Isaiah chapter 14 and the other in Ezekiel chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 14, mm -hmm. Ezekiel 28. I can't even get there myself. <clears throat> and I want to read them. First of all, Ezekiel 28. <clears throat> Here we have verse 11 and following. We have Ezekiel, who's the son of man, taking up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, what we understand is there was a physical king of Tyre, but there was a king over the king. And this is who the Lord is addressing. And we know that because the king of Tyre was never among the stones of God. And he describes this angelic being. Verse 12, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This king, who was not the king of Tyre, was in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, and he gives a description of those stones. It says in verse 13, on the day that you were created, so he was a created being, wasn't he? On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You are the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. The eye is God. And you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Now, folks, the origin of sin from a scriptural perspective, it doesn't answer all of our questions. You say, where did sin come from? It came from internally in the heart of this anointed cherub whose name was, was Lucifer. Verse 16. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled. Know where this began. Internally. Internally filled with violence. And you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane. From the mountain of God, I have destroyed you, old covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. 
Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. He goes on and talks about the multitude of his iniquities. Now look in Isaiah chapter 14. He talks about this fallen angel again. Verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. Verse 13. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, that is the other angelic beings. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will make myself like who? The Most High. And God says, nevertheless, you're going to be cast down. How did this operate in the angelic being named Lucifer? Now, I'm going to give a little footnote of a warning. We are presupposing that angelic nature and man's nature are similar. Everybody following me? We don't know that much about angelic natures. We're assuming that in this particular case, man and angels are identical. They're not identical. But we're assuming that there would be some continuity between the nature of angels and the nature of man. I know there's some discontinuity. So there's your footnote. How did this occur? Well, if you noted... In Ezekiel 28, that it all began with a desire. Your heart was lifted up. Do you hear the word? Your heart was lifted up because of your what? Beauty. Here's how it began in the heart of Lucifer. In his heart, he turned away from beholding and delighting in the beauty of God's holiness to looking at who? Himself. Now, I want us to know something. Every precious stone was his covering. Where was the light of his beauty coming from? The Lord. Right? If you take a stone, if you ever walk by a mall and there's a jewelry store there, you'll notice that that jewelry store is lit way lighter than everybody, every other store in the whole mall. Why is it doing that? Because it wants the light to reflect on the, on the stone. 
You don't look at that stone lady and say, what a marvelous light bulb. You don't do that, do you? What do you do? What a precious stone. But the preciousness of that stone is being seen in the light from another source. So here's Lucifer. <clears throat> His heart <clears throat> turns from beholding and delighting in the light and beauty of God's holiness and glory to himself. And he begins to delight in who? Himself. Have you ever pondered this passage? All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to what? His own way. We've told everybody, you've got to be true to yourself. You've got to do what's right in your own eyes. You've got to do your own way. Where did that reason come from? The evil one. Folks, we don't do our own way. We behold the glory of Christ and we do whose? His way. And as long as my eyes are enraptured and I'm delighting and I'm beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the pages of my Bible, I'm in a good place. Regardless of the war that may be going on. But when I turn my eyes away from him and I begin looking at who? Myself. I'm going to go astray. What I want, what I will, what seems reasonable to me, doesn't matter. It's the Lord. But this is the way it started. And folks, you know that this is true. You know that God judges this. Nebuchadnezzar did the very same thing. Nebuchadnezzar walks out in that garden and he sees all the majesty of that garden, a garden that God gave life to, God gave fruit to, God gave the wisdom to man to be able to build the garden. God gave man the strength to put all those stones together. Everybody with me? He goes out, he looks at that garden, he says, look at what my hand has done. Who's he looking at? Himself. And folks, it's a dangerous thing to keep our eyes looking in the mirror of ourselves. And I'm going to tell you that as a believer, when you do that, and there are times we need to take a look at what's going on inside, but when you do that on an habitual, regular basis, and that becomes your habit, you're going to find darkness and sin. 
You won't see your glory. You'll see your misery. So it began with lust. The Lucifer looked at himself and saw his own beauty and desired his own what? His own beauty. And then he was <clears throat> persuaded. <clears throat> Remember when delight and reason come together, sin is conceived. And so his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. <clears throat> In Ezekiel 28 and verse 17, you, Lucifer, you corrupted your wisdom. How did he do it? By reason of his own splendor. He looked at his own splendor. He desired his own glory. It corrupted his wisdom. Sin was conceived. And the Bible says iniquity was found in him. And brethren, this is exactly what Romans chapter 1 says, that when man rejects the glory of God, he becomes corrupted. He begins serving four-footed beasts in the creation. He falls into sensuality. He goes into adultery and fornication. If the Lord doesn't restrain him, he falls into homosexuality and other abominable sins. And then he begins to glory in others who are as corrupted as he is. So we have lust. The lust for his own beauty. We had the intellect. He reasoned it and was persuaded of this. And he corrupted his own wisdom. And then Isaiah says, he had the will to do it. How many I wills did Lucifer say? Five. Let's look at it again. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 14. <clears throat> Verse 13. But you said in your heart, does God know what's going on in our heart? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So his desire was corrupted from desiring God to desiring his own beauty and glory. His intellect and his wisdom was perverted. When those two things came together, iniquity was found in him and iniquity energized him to say, I will do this. 
And folks, that energizing of him to do this, now think about this, is still today. Does Satan want to be above God? Yep. It's lasted, I'm just going to use this number, it's lasted 10,000 years. He was tempted to do evil because desire and intellect came together and iniquity was found when it was conceived. His corrupted wisdom deceived one third of the angels of God. And he became a murderer. He was internally filled with violence when he murdered mankind in Adam, who was created in the image and likeness of God. <laughs> Folks, to some degree, if I'm right about this, to some degree and to some measure, the same temptation in the heart of that angel, that nature is in every fallen person born into this world. Everyone. All mankind wants to rule over everybody else. The kings of this earth want to rule over everybody else. The governments of this world want to do their laws, not God's. This is our universal problem. But thanks be to God that Christ came not just to remove our sins, but to give us a new nature. A nature that says, in the volume of the book, it is written to me to do thy will, O God. That nature, the nature of Jesus Christ, to do the will of God and to delight in it. To do what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. That we're changed from glory to glory as we behold Him in the pages of our Bible. We must keep our eye. We must keep our desire on Christ. To give all of our energies to loving Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. To press on against the resistance of the world, your flesh, and the devil, so that we might win the prize of being conformed into the image of the one we love. God plants at regeneration a love for Him. And may we grow in that and brethren, may I just repeat what we started with. Don't be deceived. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its desires. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for protecting us. Our Lord, none of us here as believing people would be where we are today apart from you. Apart from your keeping hand, apart from you working inside of us. <clears throat> oh Lord, let us really believe that our flesh is deceitful. And may we believe with all of our heart that your word is not. Open the eyes of our understanding so that we might truly behold you and that we might truly be changed. Our Father, would you give us a greater love for you? And we look forward to that day when that inward traitor will be no more. And every desire of our body, every reasoning thing that enters into our minds, every motivating will and energizing that we would have would be all righteousness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for earning this for your people. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.